This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word and go with me to the Gospel according to Mark. And I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Do you? And I believe that the reason that we are in the condition spiritually that we find ourselves in, in our churches and in our nation, is because we have neglected the Bible. And the centerpiece of what we're doing in our church ought to be the ministry of the Word of God, the preaching and teaching of the Bible. And it is the Scripture that is sufficient to bring men to salvation. And it is the Scripture that is sufficient to transform lives and help men and help women and young people uh, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and to be that all that God desires for them to be. There's only one book uh, that is able to do that in our lives. That is the Bible. <clears throat> and it's amazing to know that God has chosen to do that through the written word. And so may God help us to be students of it. I have a conviction about the sufficiency of the scripture. And we need to know more of it, not less of it. And may God help us. There's so many things, aren't there, in this world that pull at us, that are a distraction to us. And may God help us to be students of the word. Now, having said all that, God willing, I'm going to preach through the gospel according to Mark. And that's good news. The even better news is I'm not going to do it all today. <laughs> but I want us to look together in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 1. And we'll read one verse. And then I want to share some thoughts with you. And by the way, I hope you'll be the kind of person that brings some notepads and some paper and some pencils and pens with you. Uh, I told, uh, I'm enjoying working and teaching in the college students class and um, we're having a good time. But I told them today, uh, a short pencil is better than a long memory. And that would behoove us all. You know, it's just a proven fact when you write things down, you retain them better. And you follow along better. And so I want to encourage you, be a note-taking uh, Bible student. And uh, we're going to, God willing, go through uh, this gospel according to Mark. And I'm praying the Lord would help us. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 1, the beginning, <clears throat> excuse me, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where we are in Mark chapter 1. And uh, I want us to look at four things. We're going to look, at, first of all, at the announcement of this gospel and the author of this gospel and then the audience to which this gospel is addressed. 
and then the aim of this gospel. And so the announcement, the author, the audience, and the aim. And I think it's important for us uh, as students of the scripture uh, to make these distinctions and to understand these thoughts that will enrich our study of his word as we go through this wonderful gospel according to Mark. I want you to see, first of all, the announcement this morning. And Mark really gets to the point, doesn't he? Uh, the gospel of Matthew begins with a genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that genealogy, of course, leads uh, to David and showing uh, that Jesus Christ is the rightful king. Uh, he is the rightful heir of David to rule on the throne. And uh, so we see that Jesus is the Messiah, the king, uh, to sit on the throne. And Luke begins his gospel by tracing that genealogy. And that genealogy goes all the way back uh, to Abraham and, of course, to Adam. And showing that Jesus Christ is not just the king, uh, and, but he is the son of man. And then you have the gospel according to John. And uh, John traces his genealogy further than that. He goes all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, God. And uh, he begins there at the beginning. And Jesus Christ, the son of God, co-equal with God, co-existent with God, co-eternal with God. And we see the beginning there. And we see the Lord Jesus in the beginning. And so that gospel shows that Jesus is uh, not just the king, not just the son of man, but he is the son of God. And then we come to the gospel according to Mark, and this is the gospel of action. The word that we'll find often in this gospel according to Mark is the word immediately, or oftentimes we'll find the word straightforward. And we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is active. And we see him portrayed here as the servant. As the servant. And so as we, as we understand these gospels, as we uh, gain a greater knowledge of them, we see that Mark begins here with a simple announcement. Not with a genealogy, but he, just a simple announcement. But a powerful and profound announcement. Is it not? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the Son of God. Now the word gospel means good news. Boy, we certainly need some good news in our world, don't we? And here we find some good news that comes into a world uh, filled uh, with bad news. And the listeners, the audience, the readers of Mark in that day, in that first century, would have immediately recognized this word gospel as a term that would not only bring good news, but it would especially bring the news that a new emperor, a new monarch, a new king uh, had been coronated and was now in authority. And so in this announcement, we find here the announcement of a new king. And that king is Jesus Christ. But friend, he's not any ordinary king. He is the son of God. I want you to go with me to Mark chapter number 8. Mark chapter number 8. And verse number 27. 
In Mark chapter 8 in verse number 27, we see a very pivotal, a very, excuse me, a very pivotal and transitional statement in this book. And it really leads us all to a question that we must answer. Mark chapter 8 in verse number 27, the Bible said, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Now Mark begins with this announcement. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what the word Christ means. The Son of God. He is the servant. He is the sovereign king. And so the Lord Jesus Christ asked his disciples, whom do men say that I am? As you walk about and you deal with people and you visit your family, he's saying to these disciples, uh, and as you minister to people, who are people saying that I am? By the way, that is the most important question you can ever answer. Whom do men, whom do you? say that he, Jesus, is. Verse 28, they answered John the Baptist. But some say Elias and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? You see, the disciples said, the people say of you, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist, the risen John the Baptist, some say that you are Elias or Elijah, and others say you are one of the prophets. That's who the people said. But he asked them, who do you say that I am? And notice the answer that Peter gives in verse 29. And Peter answereth and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. We find in the other gospel records that Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This is the confession upon which the church is built, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the question comes to you today, who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Do you say that he's the Son of God? And so we see the announcement as it is given in the midst of all of the negativity, in the midst of all of the bad news, the announcement is given that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And as we study the, the gospel according to Mark, we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ revealing himself to a lost world through his service to his Father and to humanity. The Lord Jesus Christ comes as a servant and he serves humanity. And then as we continue through our study, we see that not only does he reveal himself as the son of God through his service, but we're going to find that he reveals himself as the son of God through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. The atonement that he made for you and I when he went to the cross and shed his blood for your sin and for mine. And he reveals himself as the glorious son of God. And the question comes, whom do you say? that I am. And so we see, first of all here, the announcement. I want you to see the second thing, and that is the author. In my Bible, uh, above the beginning of this 
epistle, this gospel. It says the gospel according to St. Mark. Uh, we understand that Mark is unnamed in this gospel record. Uh, Mark does not identify himself as the writer. He doesn't say, I'm Mark and these are uh, the thoughts that I have or this is the events that I'm aware of. He does not name himself. So how is it that we come to this conclusion that Mark has written this gospel and why is it even important for us to consider? Well, first of all, we see that from the very beginning of the church age, uh, the early church fathers acknowledged that this gospel was penned by a man named Mark, also known as John Mark in the New Testament. One of the early church theologians, church fathers, Justin Martyr, described this gospel as the memoirs of Peter and suggested that it was written by Mark in Italy. Uh, Eusebius, who is uh, an historian uh, of the first century, tells us in his writings, he says, a great light of religion shone in the minds of the, so that they were not satisfied with a single hearing or with unwritten teaching of the divine proclamation. But with every kind of exhortation, they entreated Mark, whose gospel is still in existence, seeing that he was Peter's follower, to leave them a written statement of the teaching given them verbally. Nor did they cease until they had persuaded him, and so became the cause of the scripture called the gospel according to Mark. And they say that the apostle, that's Peter, knowing by revelation of the Spirit to him what had been done, was pleased at their zeal and ratified the scripture for study in the churches. Papias called Mark Peter's interpreter. Graham Scroggy in his guide to the gospel said, the hand that penned this gospel was the hand of Mark. The voice that speaks is the voice of Peter. You see, what we find is that Mark became a companion of Peter. He, he was an understudy of the apostle Peter. And what we're learning here is that as Peter shared the stories of his personal existence, his personal relationship, his personal interactions, the things that he saw the Lord do with his own eyes, the things that he heard him say with his own ears as he recited those stories to the first century believers, <coughs> they began to impress upon Mark the need to record them. And Mark, led by the Holy Spirit of God and verified by the very testimony of the apostle Peter, said this is how it happened. Amen. And that's important for us to know. Because when we pick up our Bible and we just start reading, we might say, how do we know this is true? And where did this come from? And by the way, the world asks those questions and we need to be armed with the answers. And so we find out something here about this author. And it's interesting to note a little bit about his background. I want you to go with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 12. In Acts chapter number 12, we find that Peter is in prison. He's been in prison because he's preaching 
the message of Jesus Christ. He's been warned not to, but he continues to preach. And James has already been beheaded, and now Peter's in prison, and what they intend to do with Peter is behead him. As he is in prison, a group of believers gather together. We see it in Acts chapter 12 and verse number 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. You see, there was a prayer meeting taking place while Peter was in jail. And if you know the story, you know that the angel of God came and awoke Peter and freed him from his shackles and led him out of the prison into the street. And when he, uh, when he left that prison, he went to the house that we find here in Acts chapter 12 and verse 12. He knocked on the door at the gate and said, this is Peter, let me in. And the servant went back into the house, the young lady, and she said, Peter's at the door and the people who were praying for his own release, they said, oh, couldn't have been him. It shows even the first century believers struggled in their faith with prayer, right? As do we. God answered their prayer. Peter was at the door. And it's interesting to note whose house they were in. Notice it again in verse 12. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. That's the man who wrote this gospel according to Mark. They were gathered at his mother's house. They were praying there. And so we see a tie between Peter and John Mark from the very earliest days in the church. Let me just give you some references to write down. And if, you, if you've got some notes, you can take there and place these. And, and it's an interesting study to pursue. In Acts 12 and 25, we read that John Mark accompanied Barnabas and Saul on their journey. In Acts 13 and verse 13, we learn that he departed uh, from Barnabas and Paul on their first missionary trip. We see that John Mark, this young man, went with Paul and Barnabas and he left them. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but we know that he left them. He departed from that journey. Somewhere along the line, he may have gotten discouraged. He may have gotten homesick. We don't know the answer. We don't know the reason why. All we know is that he left his missionary partners and returned home. In Acts chapter 15 and verses 37 through 39, we see that Barnabas and Paul have a disagreement. And the disagreement concerns John Mark. Barnabas wants John Mark to go with them on their second missionary journey. He had deserted them on the first. He had departed from them on the first. But now Barnabas says, I want to take John Mark with me. Paul says, no. And there was a disagreement between the two. And the disagreement was so strong that Barnabas and Paul split. They didn't quit serving God, but they didn't serve him together. Barnabas took John Mark and Paul found another partner and they went different directions. And so we see that Paul maybe took the hardline stand as far as we can see. 
Maybe he was a little less forgiving at that point. I don't really know the answer. The Bible doesn't tell us this, but we know there was a disagreement and because of this disagreement, they part ways and it was mainly over or it was over John Mark. In Colossians chapter four and verse number 10, we learned that Mark, John Mark was Barnabas' cousin, which perhaps explains even further Barnabas' desire to give this young man a second chance. In that same passage in Colossians chapter four and verse 10, we find that uh, John Mark was later someone that Paul recognized as a valuable member of his missionary team. The young man who departed, the young man who deserted, the young man who they uh, divided over, Paul now says in Colossians chapter four, verses 10 and 11, that that same young man is someone who is profitable to me. In Philemon, verse 24, Paul wrote and he spoke of John Mark and he talked about the fact that John Mark was a source of encouragement to him during his imprisonment in Rome. In 2 Timothy 4 and uh, verse number 11, Paul in his last letter, before he goes to be executed, before he is uh, executed at the uh, hand of the Roman government, Paul requests that Timothy would bring Mark with him. You see, our God is the God of the second chance after all, isn't he? You see, this is important for us to know because here's a guy who set out to serve God and for one reason or the other, he didn't quite finish the task. He didn't finish uh, his course and maybe there were people who were ready to say, he's not gonna make it. He's not going to amount to anything, but God wasn't finished with him. And this same person who had, uh, who had let Paul down becomes a source of encouragement and blessing to Paul later on. And many believe it is because of the ministry of Peter. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter number 5. 1 Peter chapter number 5. And verse number 13. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 13, Peter is concluding this epistle. And I want you to see what he says in verse 13. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus. There he is. What's the next two words? My son. You see, we get a glimpse here into the relationship that Peter and Mark had. Sure, he refers to him as a son in the faith, but he also refers to him as a son, a father to a son, a natural father to a natural son. Now, he was not his natural son, but what he is describing for us is the very nature of his relationship with this young man and how much he loved him. Now let me ask you a question. Who would be the prime 
person to help a young man who had departed in the midst of his missionary journey, who had failed in his first attempt, who would be the perfect candidate to help him but a guy named Peter who denied the Lord three times. And here we find that the grace of God that was bestowed upon Peter. You remember when the Lord Jesus arose? He said, you go tell Peter. He called him by name. I'm alive. And he asked Peter three times, do you love me? The same one who had denied him three times, he gave him an opportunity three times to affirm to him his love. You see, Peter was restored by the glorious grace of God. And as one who had been restored, he was able to take somebody like John Mark alongside him <coughs> and tell him, he'll forgive you. God's not finished with you. This thing's not over. And we see how the grace of God worked in the life of this young man, John Mark. The deserter, the liability in ministry who was considered now profitable, a son and a fellow servant. Someone has said that Peter's influence undoubtedly helped Mark overcome the weakness and vacillations of his youth so that he could faithfully accomplish what God called him to do. You know, some of you have been through some things and you can help some people. And I want to encourage you to do it. Put your arm around them. Take them to lunch. <coughs> Invite them to your home. Ask them if you can speak with them and give them a word of encouragement. God used Peter to encourage Mark, the author. Then I want you to see a third thing. That's the audience. This is interesting to note. We see that Mark's gospel and his language is distinctly Roman. John Phillips says, scholars tell us that Mark's Greek is rough and ready, but admirably suited to the slaves and freed men who formed some of the earlier Christian congregations of Rome. You see, while Matthew's writing to the Jews to convince them that Jesus is the king, and Luke is writing to the Greeks, and John is writing to the saints, Mark is writing to the Romans. <clears throat> and Mark is writing in the language that the slaves and the freedmen of Rome can understand. I think of what he said in Mark 12 and verse 37 when he said, the common people heard him gladly. Aren't you glad that our God speaks to the common people? Hey, I'm one of those. Maybe I'm a little bit on the weird side of the common people. I'm not sure. But I'm glad he speaks to the common people. I'm glad that God loves all men. And he came to make the payment for the sin of all men. 
that he came to communicate to all men, not just a special class, that world which was divided in that way in that time. Slavery was an accepted practice. And slavery was not just delegated or relegated to one particular race. It involved a number of people across ethnic backgrounds who were servants and slaves in the Roman Empire. And Paul writes to them, or Mark rather, writes to them in a language that they so readily understand. The gospel according to Mark is written in the language with terms, calculations of time, and an explanation of Jewish customs which would help a distinctly Roman audience because God wants to speak to the Roman slave and to the common people. And God wants to speak to you. And he has gone to the great trouble of inspiring men over a course of hundreds and hundreds of years to record his word. And that word has been translated and preserved and it is for us today so that we can know that there's a God in heaven who sent his son to die on the cross to make the payment for our sin so we don't have to grope in the darkness. We don't have to wonder what science is going to discover tomorrow or what the next philosophy is going to be. We don't have to try to find our way. God has spoken to us and he has revealed the way. You see, we see the announcement. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's good news. We see the author, a man who had a beginning but failed but was restored. And the one who helped restore him was the one who gave the eyewitness accounts that Mark so meticulously recorded. We see the audience. It was this Roman servant group, the common man. And then we see the fourth thing, and that's the aim. What's his purpose? What is the purpose behind Mark's written record? Is it just some academic set of information and facts that we need to know so we can pass the next test? No. It is written to point men to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the aim. Why did Mark write? He wrote to a group primarily of Roman slaves, many who were under the cruel taskmasters who perhaps afflicted them, and all who were under the oppression of a Roman leader who was a madman one who valued their life like he valued the speck of dirt on the ground. And when they heard the announcement 
about the good news. There's a new king. He's not an oppressive king. He's not a king that wants you uh, to do something for him. Oh no, this is a good king, a loving king, a righteous king, a holy king who will do something for you. He wants to serve you and he wants to save you and he wants to deliver you. He wants to free you. Oh, I can imagine putting myself in the shoes of a Roman slave with no freedom, with no future, with no hope. And I come across this gospel and I find out there's a new king in town and his name is Jesus. And he came to save me and he came to free me. He came to give me a future and he came to give me hope. I think I'd like to hear about that. Donald Guthrie wrote these words. He said, the gospel writers were not literary men and were not setting out to be. They themselves had experienced a remarkable transformation as a result of the stupendous events they related. They're not writing books of literature. They're not writing books of history. They're writing to point us to Jesus. They're writing to tell us the story of what Jesus did for them and what he can do for us. That's why Mark was writing. That's his aim. Someone has said they they were ordinary men who had encountered the extraordinary power of Jesus and who determined under the power of the Holy Spirit to write down the events as they experienced them or as they had been recounted to them. I'm closing, but I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter number 1. Again, ordinary men who encountered the extraordinary power of Jesus and determined under the power of the Holy Spirit to write down these events as they experienced them or as they had been recounted to them. And of course, Mark is relying upon the testimony of the Apostle Peter. And we get a little glimpse into this process and we see uh, what John said for us in 1 John chapter number 1. John and the Apostle wrote these words. He said, that in 1 John 1 verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Can I tell you that these guys weren't dealing in concepts and, and, and ideas, they were dealing with reality. They weren't sitting around in a think tank trying to figure out what God would do if they were him. No, they saw him with their own eyes. They heard him with their own ears. They handled him. 
and they have written to us this gospel record. Notice what Peter said. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 16. And this is very important because we understand it is God who uses Peter and the relationship that Mark had with Peter to record what we read in this gospel according to Mark. You see, I want our young people to understand this Bible's not just some figment of the imagination. This Bible was written by men who knew God firsthand. And the historical accuracy of this book and the inspiration of this book cannot be debated or defeated or questioned in such a matter as to lose its credibility. Because this book has proved to stand under the scrutiny of man. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You know what we have? We have the eyewitness account. We have it firsthand. Uh, one theologian writes and says, uh, the gospel records appeared in a time frame of about 30 years after the death of Jesus. This gospel, according to Mark, many believe was the first gospel written. And it appears within 30 years after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And so when it was written, many of the eyewitnesses who saw these things were still alive. And they had every opportunity either to affirm or to deny the things that were written. And yet we have no record that anyone ever came forward to deny them. You see, the aim is given to us that this gospel reveals to us the news of a Savior and we can rely on the accuracy of this gospel to reveal him to us and how that we may know him. And so I come back to you with the question we noted earlier. When Jesus said to his disciples, whom do you say that I am? Have you ever been confronted with that question? Who do you say he is? Well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're so-and-so, a religious leader, an example for us to follow. All those things might be true to a degree, but they're not true to the fullest extent. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not a way. He's not part of the truth. He is the way. He is the truth. 
He is the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus. You say, what's your aim, Mark? I'll tell you what my aim is. It's I want the people to know that Jesus is the Son of God so that they can experience the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God so that they can be freed from bondage so that they can have a future and a home in heaven. That's the aim. And as we study through it, we pray that God would help us. My question for you is, who do you say he is? And if you've not answered that question, then I want to encourage you today with Peter to confess him as Lord and Savior. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.